Welcome to Chevron's Lock, to Stargate podcast. I'm Chelsea. I'm Jess. And I'm Mel. We're going to be talking about The Enemy Within. So we'll go ahead and start by offering our spoiler warning that we will be talking about the entire series. And there will be swear words. So just go ahead and be prepared for that before diving into the rest of the episode. Uh, Melanie's going to give us a synopsis. So this synopsis comes from the Stargate Wiki this time, because IMDb's was way too long. Uh, while Stargate Command and the military decide Teal'c's fate, and unbeknownst to the team, a nearly mature Gould is slowly taking control of Ma- Major Charles Kowalski. With little time remaining, the only way to save him is by carefully and potentially life-threatening surgery to remove it. I see you've opted for the pronunciation of Gould. Your other options are Goa'uld or Gold. <laughs> Or a more heavy gould. <laughs> but I appreciate your gould choice. We get a variety in this episode. Well, I mean, I have to choose the one that Hammond uses because he's from Texas and I'm from Texas. So <laughs> yeah. it just made sense. Absolutely. It really does. This episode was written by Brad Wright and directed by Dennis Barry. Uh, this is the first episode, obviously, since it's only the second episode, that Dennis Barry directed. He directs one other, uh, which is First Commandment, but those are the only two episodes that he'll direct. It aired August 1st, 1997. So, with all that in mind, let's just go ahead and jump right in. Yeah. So, we open up with the uh, control room and the embarkation room, also the, known as the gate room later in the series. And the Stargate is being essentially attacked the iris is opening and closing opening and closing as apophis is sending in his minions to attack the sgc um and they're essentially just i think jack says it's like bugs on a windshield so the sgc is just closing the iris anytime there's an incoming wormhole and you just hear kind of these weird splat sounds um or thud sounds which you know so some some thoughts I had about this this scene is that first of all the iris seems to be like jolting every time something hits it, which is interesting because Sam later explains that stuff shouldn't even be able to rematerialize. So I'm just wondering what is bumping into the iris that's making mm. it it's it's visit it's audibly thumping and it's visibly jolting as each thing hits it. Also, later on, Teal'c does explain that Apophis is probably sending through big, scary weapons first, and he won't know. I was wondering how Apophis eventually does know that there is an iris on it. I mean, I would assume that usually they would send through the weapons. Once they're pretty sure that everyone on that other end is probably dead, they start sending the Jaffa through, and then you would expect those Jaffa to report back. Mm-hmm. So once you send through a couple waves of Jaffa and they're not reporting back, maybe Apophis starts to cotton on that there's some reason that they're not surviving the trip. I kind of always thought that he never got to the sending the Jaffa through because Tilk only says weapons, I'm pretty sure. I don't think he ever says people. He says, you know, Apophis will send his weapons through first or whatever. So maybe Apophis just assumes that the weapons took care of it and like didn't bother spending the manpower to go check. Could be. Who knows? Who I mean, knows? It's possible, but you brought up the fact that things audibly like thump and hit 
the iris. Mm-hmm. But then Sam says that they can't rematerialize. So mm-hmm. I'm confused as to what's hitting the iris. If it can't reintegrate or rematerialize, you know, rematerialize them, nothing should happen. Yeah. No, I think it's mostly just for effect. We yeah. need to we need to understand that something is coming it's through. Coming the through. It would be kind of weird if the iris was just closing. Everyone was like, "Brace yourself!" And then it was just <laughs> silence. I mean, I get it, but I just yeah, you know, it's just the it's I'm nitpicking anyway. I did pull the clip of Sam describing the iris mostly because I just love this is one of the first real ex- exchanges we get between our SG one team. So it's like our first techno babble. Yeah, it's, so it's Technobabble and Daniel being Daniel and Jack being Jack. And it's just these three all being themselves. We're just missing Teal'c. I feel like and we're just missing Teal'c is a good critique of some of the series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so here goes. So this iris is going to hold, right? Pure titanium, less than three micrometers from the event horizon. It won't even allow matter to fully reintegrate. So this iris is going to hold, right? doesn't the failsafe device will detonate this whole mountain will vaporize and there'll be nothing to worry about ah good i feel much better (laughs) i love the sound of thumps in the background as she's saying it won't even be able although doesn't she i know we just heard it but didn't she just say fully materialize uh materialize reintegrate yeah fully reintegrate so maybe it's like partial reintegration that's what's hitting Maybe. Okay, that could make sense. My only two notes on this scene were, this reminded me a lot of the 33 episode from Battlestar Galactica, which if you don't know, and you should, the first episode of the season is, well, if you don't count the miniseries movie, uh, is in BSG that the fleet is on the run from the Cylons and they're attacking every 33 minutes so they have to jump every 33 minutes. And in this episode, um, Apophis is sending in weapons every two hours and that's what sam says later in the episode that there's an incoming wormhole every two hours and that's part of the reason that everyone's kind of like jumping on edge is because they can't rest which leads me to my second point which is boy oh boy are we super trigger happy on that auto destruct button (laughs) they said it like four or five times in this episode and it's just like fam can we relax for two seconds i know it's scary but the auto destruct seems rough (laughs) well i think the point of the auto destruct scene is in case you know the iris fails or whatever it's there to you know explode although sam did say that there's like a tripwire also so even if something did get through it's still gonna blow up so like did we have to really set the auto (laughs) self-destruct I like, too, that in that same scene, Jack is really irreverent when he says the, like, it's like bugs on a windshield and it's kind of, like, dismissive of if it is people being sent through. And, like, right after that, Sam is like, yeah, but even if it doesn't, the auto-destruct will trip and poof, it'll be a vaporized mountain. And it's like, oh, I see. There's already some similarities here. Like, that kind of, like, we, it's fine. It's all fine. Well, because Jack's response to that is like, oh, yeah, that makes me feel much better. Yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a good opening scene to kind of set the like general tenseness that okay, we've like explored and now the bad guys are kind of counterattacking. Yeah, that there are consequences for what happened last like, week. Like guys, there's an enemy within. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Cuz Kowalski's got the headache and he's very dramatically great acting, just grasping onto the back of that neck. He's he's in pain. 
That's what I do when I have a headache. Then I take it back. Are you a gold? Are you infected? No. Can we get you an MRI? I grind my teeth in my sleep, though, so. Oh. Well, I don't think gold has teeth, so I think you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So then we go to Hammond's office, and this is, I loved this because it was Jack's very first fishing reference. Oh, I missed it. Yeah, so Jack comes oh, in. Oh, yes, I yes, I remember now. And he jumps right into business, and the general's like, you're not much for small talk, are you? And Jack's like, you've been fishing lately? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Jack and Hammond. They have such a fun dynamic. Yes, me too. Yeah, I like that. There's like a respect there. Like Hammond knows that Jack is not a buy your book. He lets Jack get away with a lot. And I think Jack also respects Hammond and knows when to like rein it in and like knows where the line is. Like Hammond draws the line and Jack doesn't cross it. Yeah. And I think that throughout this episode too, they come to understand each other better as well. Totally. Uh, I love that, first of all, that Hammond has a point when he's talking about that we we don't know enough about this alien tilt guy to just be letting him on to SG-1. Yep. But that he does promise Jack that as long as Teal'c is on his base, he'll be treated with respect and dignity. Yeah. And and it's, he's so believable, too. And he's true to his word on that. Yeah. I like that the, it, it makes sense that, like, even though we know Tilk's a good guy, like, he's on the cover of the DVD box, so we know things work out well for us. But it totally makes sense for us to not be like, oh, hey, former enemy and alien, someone we know nothing about and who no one on this base has had interaction with, with the exception of Jack, and Jack's word, it makes no sense to be like, yeah, suit up and you head on out. We'll brief you with all the SGC secrets. Um, you go, that's fine. Yeah, come on over. Like, absolutely not. It totally makes all the sense in the world that there are reservations. And like it or not, when the big bad military shows up, like with Colonel Kennedy, it, those questions make sense. Yeah, I'm sure it's much worse in real life. I'm sure there's like waterboarding involved, but like <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So after Jack and the general have their scene, Jack goes to talk to Teal'c, who is in some kind of holding cell, I think. And I love this scene. It's just yes. a great scene. Why do you like it? Uh, for me personally, it's just because I feel like we we don't get to see this like softer side of Jack very often. And I feel like he is so open with Teal, like straightforward. Here's how it is. But the way he presents these like straightforward facts, it's almost profound in the ways that he's explaining to Teal, like, look, it it's not that it's anything personal, but you're scary and new and an unknown entity. And it's in human nature to not trust that. And I liked that he framed it that way because it felt more, it didn't feel as personal, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip because oh, yeah. you just referenced it. So uh, this is just part of Jack and Teal'c's conversation. Well, it's kind of a human thing. We tend to be afraid of things we don't know. Why is O'Neill not afraid? Teal'c, I saw you stand up to a god. You refused to kill. I saw you make that decision. Yes. In that moment, I learned everything I needed to know to trust you. 
perfect. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said in terms of these are just two warriors who tell it like it is. They're very straight shooters. Jack isn't pulling punches. Teal's like, am mm-hmm. I a prisoner? And Jack says, yeah, you're a prisoner. And Teal is like, okay, I get it. And But then this this exchange that they have where Jack is just being so open about the foibles of humanity, you would think he would maybe want to be talking humanity up to convince this guy to want to fight side by side with them. But he's just very honest Sorry about the situation. And I also really like this exchange because it's the very first time that Teal calls Jack O'Neill. Yes. And that's pretty much the beginning of their beautiful friendship. I, I love the relationship so much. And I'm going to gush over it like real hard like as we go through this series. Because I feel like Teal'c is like the only warrior friend that Jack has. Like Teal'c understands like the, the military side of Jack, I think, really, really well. Like the soldier, soldier part of him. Yeah. And, and Teal'c is so, he's just such a good man and he's so understanding. And that's something that he has a lot. He can kind of always understand people or whoever he's dealing with. And he's very accepting and probably due to a lifetime of it, of other mm-hmm. people's judgment of him, mm-hmm. which is so tragic because he's so good, but he's kind of lived a whole life of everyone being afraid of him. And Jack kind of says that too, I think in that exchange, he's like, you're probably used to that by now. And but Teal basically says that, like, as a Jaffa, I'm used to people being scared of me. I do think there is truth to that, especially because Christopher Judge, he is built like a linebacker. Uh, although he he played safety in college. And I just don't even want to think he was super scary safety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Melanie, you raising your hand? I didn't raise my hand, but um, <laughs> no, it remind, you said football and that reminded me. Christopher Judge is actually in a MacGyver episode, and he plays a football player in the MacGyver episode. And they and they do like a little like football kind of drill like in like the classroom. Anyway, so anyway, with MacGyver, yeah, with with Richard Dean. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. It has nothing to do with the podcast whatsoever. That's but. critical information that people need to know. <laughs> it's a fun fact. Uh, yeah. So then we move on, and Kowalski kills a poor doctor guy who's just doing his job yeah i kind of like that scene though like even though i mean one it's it's important like uh kowalski is the enemy we know this but i kind of like just like the establishment of um hey like we do have some kind of protocol of go to the med bay when something's wrong there's some kind of process in place to like check out these off-world travelers. Like I really appreciate that particular like canon establishment. Am I am I thinking too far ahead, or is it like right after this episode when they start like making it mandatory that they have to go and get their blood tested and they have to go do a couple other things after they get back from off-world Mm-mm. stuff? No. So I've watched up. I started my rewatch a couple weeks ago, and I'm only up to Cold uh, First Commandment. And so far, it hasn't been. So I don't, I'm going to keep an eye out for it. It's one of the things I'm looking for, but there is no like, and I can't remember how much of it is canon versus fanon, but so far, there has not been a, a directive to go to the infirmary and like get an MRI and stuff. Is, so it's, it's enemy is in uh, emancipation. Emancipation, broken divide, divide, and then first commandment. Yeah. So maybe it's after Broken Divide then. Okay, maybe. But, you know, that was, but, but what I was thinking also is later when Sam gets um, 
Oh my God. Her name is Jolinar. Jolinar. <laughs> thank you. Oh my God. My name just went blank. Um, when Sam gets Jolinar, does she go and get an MRI and that's how they find out? No, because no, because no, they, they come back and she starts acting kind of weird, weird because, yeah. because they had the debriefing and then, yes, then they like figure it out. Right. No, so they didn't figure that, it out until Cassie noticed. Yes. You're right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but, but they, they did think that Jack thought she was, she was weird. doing weird things essentially. And she was being weirdly aggressive. Yeah. But it was yes. Cassie that figured it yes, out. Yes, you're right. You but that's correct. season two. It's mm-hmm. right at the beginning two. of season two. Oh, that's season two. This is yeah. episode two, season two. Yes, that's season two, and there was no MRI. So it's probably going to be a while before there's, like, a medical protocol in place, <sighs> I think. Uh, Well, it did. I did at least like that this doctor guy did posit that his headache could be related to gate travel because mm-hmm. we this show goes for 10 years and nobody ever really talks about if there are medical side effects of gate travel, which seems mm-hmm. like something they should be considering. Yes. But this, well, this guy what... was, but he died. And so then apparently nobody else ever thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, look at like our modern day astronauts. I feel like it's only in like the last five to seven years. People are like, Hey, does like floating around out there, like affect your bones or some way? Like, is that a thing? And it's like, yeah, did no one consider this at they did. all? They knew no, that. They, we, weren't, they weren't doing, like, experiments, experiments, like, checking, like, bone density and, like, eye fluid volume and, like, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, the astronauts definitely knew that there would be side effects. It, yes. It's a, it's a trade-off choice that they made for going to space. Same for the SG-1 units, I guess. Yeah. Or the SG units. All right, so Kowalski kills a doctor, and then... Oh, how gross, by the way, before we move on real quick, how gross was it seeing the gold, like, under the skin? Yeah. So gross. I, can't, I can't do things under the skin. Anything <laughs> that, I can, that I can see, like, crawling, and I can't... Nope. I'm out. I'm out. It's so icky. Uh, okay, now we can move on. Yeah, so there's... I, I kind of was joking about this episode. Samuel and Samuel, Sam and Daniel. Have, <laughs> don't. don't. <laughs> That's your ship name. Moving on. Continue. <laughs> Sam and Daniel uh, don't have anything to do this episode. So there's just occasionally a couple of random scenes that are just exchanges between the two of them. And then they throw in a scene here where they are briefing, it seems like, members of other SG teams about the DHD together. And it just it just kind of made me laugh. Like, what are Sam and Daniel up to? Oh, not much. Mostly. They don't have anything of import to do this episode, but we'll throw a couple of random scenes their way. Mm-hmm. They're explaining how the DHD works like a telephone, and that's, that's like their, like, prime moment in this whole episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so then Kowalski is in the embarkation room, just basking in the glow of the Stargate, apparently. I, so I was wondering, they don't really explain why he just wandered. Maybe he would, maybe the Goa'uld was looking for his way off, but I was wondering if also maybe based on what we later know about Goa'uld, if he was drawn by the Naquita. Ooh, interesting. In the Stargate. Yeah. See, when I saw that, my original note was, okay, if the Goa'uld has taken over Kowalski, 
and he should know like all of Kowalski's things. I was going to say like, why doesn't he just go immediately to the gate room, dial out and leave? And like, why does Kowalski like black out and forget? Like, it feels like the control part is not complete. And then I remembered that it's not a mature Gold, it's a baby. It's like it's well, not a baby, but it's it's a teenager maybe, and it doesn't have maybe full control capacity. So I kind of wonder how much of that was like Kowalski and this Gold like fighting a little bit, and that's why there was like a a misstep. Like Kowalski was standing in front of the gate, like something's <laughs> missing. Why isn't it going? It's like oh, you forgot to dial. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and we do, they do actually talk about the fact that it being an immature gold means that it isn't as able to as easily take control of the host. So, so after that creepy blackout moment, Jack sends him back to the doctor. And I love the scene in the infirmary where Jack is all upset, like, where's the doctor? <laughs> <laughs> He's so protective of his people. And it's, I just love it. Yes, Melanie. I just... I know we've gotten into this already, but like, I still don't quite understand the relationship between Jack and Kowalski. Like, <laughs> like because because like because like they went from the movie and they didn't know each other, and mm-hmm. they kind of knew each other, but they're kind of best friends in episode one and two, mm-hmm. and now they're like super best friends because like, <laughs> like he's yelling Charlie out and like yep. he's t- saying Jack, and I'm just like, what is going on? Yeah, a lot of first names, a lot of like that opening scene where they're like teasing each other, uh-huh. but yeah. then Kowalski doesn't know about his son exactly but then later in gamekeeper maybe he is or isn't actually they've been on missions before together it's yeah it's it's not okay oh oh i kind of sorry it's just a good segue i have a fun fact about kowalski in this episode yes and it is because originally the writers wanted the original actor who played kowalski from the movie to come for the series full time and the actor said no so the writers rewrote this script and killed Kowalski. And they were like, now will you come back? And this actor still said no. So then they went and hired Jay, however you say his last name. And they never rewrote the script. Like they had an actor who was more than willing to come back and play Kowalski long term. And they just never rewrote Enemy Within. And they just, they killed him. That makes me so sad. I know. Me too. I love Kowalski. But part of me wonders if that is what helps contribute to this, like, disjointedness of relationship, especially if they ended up bringing him back later for Gamekeeper because he was never supposed to actually have been a character long term. Just Hmm. a thought. Okay, that makes sense. I can, I can, I can go down that road with you. I can. Thanks. Yeah, buckle up. Come along. Yeah. Yeah. It it definitely is inconsistent, though. I like to think that they met bef- right before they went to Abydos the first time. And then in that intervening time between those missions, Jack and Kowalski and Freddy, Ferretti spent a good amount of time together, like reminiscing yeah. about their off-world travels. Because they do seem in Children of the Gods to at least, Jack is very shaken by them being used basically as kind of bait in front of him mm-hmm. so even though even though Kowalski didn't know about his son I do think maybe they've had some bonding after yes okay but still it there is it's it's very disjointed it is 
<laughs> we're going to chalk that one up to some, I think there's going to be some poor writing decisions as we go through this. And we're going to chalk that one up to not fully thought out writing. Yeah. Well, I mean, we are in like the third episode. It doesn't we're bode still, well. We're still finding our footing. We're still we trying are. to figure out where we're going. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a process. You got to get is. through the, the rough part, the rough patch first. And we got a big rough patch coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. But for now, after after the drama with Kowalski, they go to the briefing room where we get to meet Colonel Kennedy, who is the first in a long line of Colonel Buttheads. And he's interviewing Teal'c. Yes, which I thought was a great scene. Uh, I love Jack's entry line of permission to barge in, sir. Like, that fucking cracks me up. Like, no matter how many times I rewatch this episode, every time he, like, pops his little head up from the stairs, like, permission to barge in, sir. Like, <laughs> yes. Yes, Jack. Uh, I think my favorite part of that whole scene is, like, uh, Colonel Kennedy expects Teal'c to know all this information and to be able to provide him with things. And Teal'c's just kind of like, I have no idea what you're talking about, bro. I just went around and shot my staff weapon at people. And, you know, I don't know how the Stargate works. I don't know how any of the magic works. Yep. I wasn't, you know, we're not supposed to know is essentially what he says. Well, and I, mean, I was, that's like legit too. Cause like you wouldn't capture an enemy soldier here. You wouldn't capture like another soldier and be like, okay, explain to me the mechanics of this nuclear weapon. They'd be like, it's fucking magic. I don't know. <laughs> press a button (laughs) that is a fair point it is it's pretty funny i uh i love though the way when it made me think when jack dramatically walks in at exactly the right moment and asks for permission to barge in that maybe he has been reading out of sam carter's book of dramatic entrances (laughs) (laughs) sort of felt like he was waiting on that staircase for the right moment (laughs) Although I kind of like the idea of him like eavesdropping to make sure that like Tilk was being treated with respect, and the second that he heard anything kind of fishy, he was like, "All right, Papa Jack's coming for you. I got it." <laughs> I also liked how in this kind of I guess interview, kind of like I don't know what you would call this because it's like I mean, a, it was, not an interrogation. It's it wasn't just, an interrogation. It wasn't really, I mean, kind of like an interview. I would say, but yeah, it kind of opened like the mythos of like Stargate in general. Mm-hmm. And how, like, the Tari were, like, the people who were lost, I guess, you know, and that ended up being planet Earth. And how Ra took people from here and spread them all around the galaxy. And um, they used the phrase seed. Seeded. <laughs> I missed that part. I don't care uh, for that phrasing at all. <laughs> <laughs> so <and> gross. <laughs> I wondered how much of that, like, once they said that, like, the peoples of like the descendants of the peoples of earth were like seated across the galaxy. I wonder how much of that, like there's this like humanity part of you that like feels obligated. Like those are our people. Like that is a human or humanoid or however you want to say it. And like, I wonder how much of that also contributed to them wanting to go for, I think they already wanted to explore, but how much of it knowing that it was a descendant of their ancestors made them want to go explore more. Yeah, I I actually, I think that probably did play into it a little bit because it also would have massive, scientists would be 
would love to do genetic studies of these people that are are also descendants of a common ancestor with a major divergent moment mm-hmm. and and so I, they would definitely be a lot of biologists who would be very excited about the prospect of mm-hmm. uh, of investigating that stuff but i also think it's one of the most clever built-in sci-fi backstories that makes it so they can travel the galaxy and everybody looks like humans and yeah. you save so much money on special effects by not having <laughs> to do weird aliens it, it, but they built it into their mythos and it's awesome yeah it's freaking genius because if you think about it we don't run into that many characters or creatures you basically have like the unas and the fire and water character dude yeah the asgard well, in the Asgard, but man, that, mm-hmm. yep, the Asgard, that's and so high tech. And the space race people. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple others we're missing. There's but... a couple, but but predominantly, you're right, it's it's human, which is very convenient. Yeah, so I it's, it's an important scene, that one is. It's, it's also where Teal'c pledges his loyalty to Earth. Yes. Did you pull that clip by any I, chance? I did pull that clip. Do you guys want Yay. to see it? Yay, okay. yes. So I think it's so, like... It's, he says it with such honor and conviction. I love it. I love it, too. All right. Teal'c's Pledge of Loyalty. I offer my knowledge of the Goa'ulds. I offer my skills as a warrior in defeating them. I pledge my honor and my life to this world. So when he says that he that he would give all the knowledge he has about the gold, the gold, gold, gold. No, you, you go with the pronunciation <laughs> that you feel in your heart. With the gold. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know anything. He does, no, though. No, yes, he does. Yes, he, he does. The thing we is, talk- he doesn't he- give any information to Kennedy, but then slowly over the course of the series, Teal'c actually knows a lot. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Okay, but okay, okay. He's the one who says the genetic memory, and he's the one who says that the gold <laughs> is probably immature, and he's, yeah. But in that moment, he was like, yeah, I don't know anything. It's yeah, true. He got the drop out in the read on Kennedy pretty quick and was like, mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> no, thank you, sir. <laughs> so after that introduction of Teal uh, and Kennedy interacting, we move on to Kowalski being functionally unveiled, I guess. Dr. Mm-hmm. Warner does a scan, which is either a CAT scan or an MRI or kind of both because the machine they use is a CAT scan. And then on the, the image it pulls up is an MRI image. So, you know, eh. this is a magical machine. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be super nitpicky about medical stuff on the show. I'm not a doctor. My husband is. I have worked in medical fields, but that one just made me laugh because I had to study CAT scans and MRIs in college and it made me laugh. If it makes you feel any better, because I also work in the medical field and work particularly with like genetic testing and like consenting and that kind of thing. Like five seconds ago when you were like, yeah, scientists would love to do some genetic testing on these people. And my immediate thought was, oh, that would be so illegal. All the like federal hoops they'd have to jump through to get informed consent and like all of the like ethical testing and all that stuff. So I hear you. The guy checked the impulse to be like, no, it wouldn't be like that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we see the gold wrapped around Kowalski's spine. Yes. Which, how freaking genius is it that they build in, hey, when the Gaul take a, uh, shut up, when they take <laughs> a uh, host, here's how they do it. 
They embed themselves in the nervous system. That's how they're able to control speech and thought and action. Like, that's genius, uh-huh. in my opinion. Well, and also just how hard it would, is to extract them. Mm-hmm. There's also a little t- token Sam and Daniel scene here where yes. Daniel confides in Sam that he's not sleeping because he just, his brain runs away with thoughts of Shari and Sam, it's really sweet. It's actually a really sweet moment between them and she convinces him to go to sleep and he finds a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Daniel. It's pretty traumatizing. <laughs> Poor Daniel. Melanie. Yeah, it is. It is. I just... <laughs> Are we going to talk about how this is like one of the only moments in the show that he's actually concerned about Shari and remembers that that's why they're doing it? Is that what we're going to talk about? Because I'm ready. Because he kind of forgets she exists for... I mean, he brings her up every once in a while. And then when the writers in, remember. And then, and then like at the end of the season, when he goes back to Avidos, you know, mm-hmm. then he remembers again. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it... He's real excited about going to different worlds, okay, Jess, and finding new people and our, my cat scratching at the door and um and trying to find his wife, Ware, is that her name? <laughs> or what was it again? <laughs> he can't remember, we can't remember, it's fine. I also like this moment because maybe we can chalk this up to the goal not having complete control of Kowalski, but it has access to Kowalski's brain and Hides a body on just the top bunk in the common bunk area. <laughs> it's just not the best place to hide a body. I mm-hmm. mean, at least it was in the top bunk. <laughs> like, like, leave it like on the bottom one. Like, I mean, it took a little bit, some effort, effort of effort to get there. And it was in a dark room. It was dark. Mm-hmm. He so turned I mean, the lights off. That was yeah. Genius. I mean, super genius move. Um, going back to the Sam and Daniel exchange for like two seconds, a weird little like detail that I love is when Sam like pats Daniel on the shoulder, like hanging there champ is kind of just like a really nice, like that's the thing you would do between like friends. Like I would, I do that to my friends all the time, like pat him on the back or like give him a hug or whatever. It's a small detail, but I really like it. Cause I think it's like a really easy way to show like the friendship that's already there. Yeah, I think Sam and Daniel fell into a pretty easy friendship, and it's really sweet in the early seasons. And then it falls apart, much like his relationship with Share. <laughs> what relationship with Share? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Daniel also forgets. Never mind. This is going to turn into a Daniel bashing session. <laughs> we're just going to move on. Yeah, it's we're not there yet. Right now, he is caring about Share and being That's sweet. True. Let's wait until he's actually doing the things. Okay. okay. <laughs> there will be okay. time. Okay, so we've got a dead body. Now Kowalski is on the move. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he tries to escape. He does. And he yes. heads for the gate room and the control room to dial out. It's the embarkation room. Yes, the embarkation room. We can't call it the gate room yet. Well, so he goes to the control room, and yes. we had conveniently set up during the Sam Daniel moment when she tells him to go to sleep. She's like, I'm going to go to the control room. And they'd actually set up that she was going to be there. Yeah. And so he goes in, and then she comes up behind him, and he grabs her. Well, so he shoves her, and then she – I think it's really interesting throughout this whole time that Kowalski is kind of fighting Sam slash taking her hostage – she really doesn't attempt to subdue him or hurt him because she's mm-hmm. she he pushes her away and then ignores her. She could 
pick something heavy up and knock him over the head. But yeah. she, she doesn't know exactly what's happening yet. Mm-hmm. And so instead she calls for, for an assistance to the control room. She puts the base on alert. Yeah. Like her first instinct is let everyone know that something's wrong and get people here. Right. But she does, she doesn't seem to want to hurt Kowalski. Mm-mm. And then, so then he takes her hostage. Yes. And then Jack shows up guns blazing. And is also like something is, this isn't the man or soldier that I know. No one shoot. He instructs no one to shoot. And they kind of like chase him down this hallway until they get into the elevator. They get in the elevator and they being Kowalski and Sam. And I kind of want to know, like, what is Kowalski's plan at this point? You're in an elevator. You're already, you've moved away from the gate room. So are you going to like go to the surface and make a run for it? Like, I wonder what Kowalski's plan was, or like the Goa'uld's plan was at that point. I I don't think there really was one. I think Mm -hmm. it was more of like, you know, you get trapped in a corner and you're just trying to find any sort of way out. Escape. I mean, you just, you find the elevator and you, you know, you know that whenever you get where you're going, you're probably going to get killed. Yeah, you hit all the buttons and you just see what happens. <laughs> well, and that's basically what Sam tells him once he lets her go in the elevator. She's like, yeah. the, as soon as this stops, you're just going to get shot. This is not yep. a good plan. Yeah. So, but then, but then she, after she says that, she immediately hits the emergency stop button. So it'll stop. But I couldn't tell. Won't get injured. What? Was she going for the emergency stop button or was she going for the phone? I think she hit the stop button and then tried to grab the phone mm. to, like, I don't know, tell him for more help. Stop to the elevator. I don't know. Um, I, I think mean, she wanted to tell him not to shoot. Like, I, she, maybe. I think she was genuinely trying to protect Kowalski through this whole. Because at this point, she does know, like, she knows that it's a Goa'uld, maybe. Yes, yeah, so Kowalski. <laughs> Uh, stop Sam from calling for help by grabbing her and slamming her against the back of the elevator, which she immediately crumples to the ground and she's knocked out cold. Which, fun fact, Amanda Tapping actually uh, suffered a legit concussion from that scene. I must say that's really? not a very fun fact. Yeah, yeah that's, 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 that's not a fun my fact. Apolog- <laughs> my apologies, Miss Tapping. But, dang. I mean, I, I would have been honest, like when when I watch the scene, it doesn't look like he threw her very hard. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah. I, but but don't forget also that in the gate room, when he like pushes her, she goes like flying. So there's some like go old super strength happening. I, I think there's that, but also you'd be surprised what can give you a concussion and knock you out. And clearly, it was enough to not. I mean, she got a concussion filming the scene. I mean, I've gotten concussions from a soccer ball, so I guess I shouldn't really be saying anything. <laughs> yeah. But I just like so it just didn't look like it got hit very hard, and so yeah. And I know it's going to be like a rough next episode for Sam too. And by Sam, I mean Amanda Tapping because she also gets injured by one of the actors in the next episode, who was very rough with her during some of the hand-to-hand stunt stuff. So yeah. She did, so does she do her own stunts? She must because she gets injured. I'm just asking. Like, well, I mean, no, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean they, they they sometimes do some of them, but not all of them. So I then think I was she like, probably does it a decent amount, which makes me love her even more. <laughs> no, but I do think they do a lot of their own. Uh, all of them do most of their own hand to hand combat. Combat. Yes. Well, I'm I know pretty R- sure RDA, RDA does almost all of his own. Because he did all of his stunts in MacGyver, if I remember correctly. Yes, I'm vigorously shaking my head, yes. <laughs> so then the <laughs> elevator opens and Kowalski is back to being himself. Yes. 
Oh, because he was real worried about Sam. She's hurt real bad. And then we never <laughs> fucking see. Oh, sir, I think she's hurt real bad. And then we don't see Sam in an infirmary. We don't see her with a head wound. We don't see jack shit. Two scenes later, where is she? In the briefing room, in the middle of everything. And it's just like, mm, mm-hmm, hurt real bad, I see. Mm-hmm. It's because Janet's. Exactly. Her That's her name, right? Janet? <laughs> Yes, Janet's not on base. We don't see Janet until Broke a Divide. No, I know, I know. But my point was, Janet's not there yet. Therefore, no one can be in the infirmary because Janet's not there. Mm-hmm. There are no doctors on base. Except for that one guy. Who's dead. <laughs> they could only afford one doctor. This is early, early days, guys. Well, it's because Janet hasn't gotten reassigned yet mm-hmm. to there because the doctor died. And no one's afraid of doctors the way that people are afraid of janet so if janet tells you to put your ass in bed you stay in bed yeah it's not that nobody can be in the infirmary it's that nobody besides janet can keep sg1 in the infirmary yes so sam went to the infirmary they're like you got a concussion you should probably stay here for a while and she was like yeah see ya fine (laughs) um so yeah so sam is now in the infirmary and allegedly and now we get, like, one of the weirdly most heartbreaking scenes, I think, of, for me, the entire series, which is Kowalski's complete breakdown and reveal that the Goa'uld is, like, coming to the surface and he's making his demands known. It is. It's a brutal scene. Mm-hmm. And for all of us making fun of his acting about his headache early, Jay Akavone or whatever his name, however his last name is pronounced, absolutely kills it in this scene. And it mm-hmm. is intense. Mm-hmm. The entire confrontation that, that he as the Goa'uld has with Hammond. Wow. First of all, it's intense. Like that is like desperate. Like I'm trapped up against the wall. I'm literally strapped to this bed and Hammond doesn't fucking flinch. Hammond, two-star general, steps right up into this dude's face and is like, son, you sit down. I'll tell you what your demands are. Like, fucking Papa Hammond coming to represent. Like, I was just, like, silently. I was watching this at work, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this pumping in my cubicle. Awesome. Hammond, this is a great Hammond episode. Yes. It really establishes him as the protector of the SGC. And it's, I mean, starting pretty much right. I mean, it's starting at the beginning with him basically promising Jack that Tuke will be treated with respect. Mm-hmm. But his, the how protective he is of the soldiers under his command is so awesome. It's so great. Hammond is amazing. I mean, I don't want to say don't mess with Texas, but uh, don't mess with Texas, okay? Because we got Hammond. <laughs> Texas pride, baby. I do I do also appreciate, after that whole confrontation with the Gould and Hammond, how Hammond's basically kind of like, hey, we need to get this thing out of Kowalski. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's kind of like, well, we can't really do that without by killing him or making him a paraplegic. And Hammond's like, okay, well, I'll get whoever you need. Like, he's already taking care of, like, mm-hmm. his kids on the base. And I'm just yep. like, I'm totally here for it. And I love, like, to go with that. Like, after he's, like, all badass, eyes ablazing General Hammond, the second that it's Kowalski back and he's, like, panting and, like, scared, he 
oh my god, his whole face just kind of like softens like a grandpa, and it's just like, all right, son, it's okay, I won't put you through that again. It's like, yes, Papa Hammond, yes, <laughs> this is why I call you Papa Hammond, is because you were looking out for your officers, like your immediate first is like comfort and like support. Oh, I love him so much. <laughs> Uh, I also really love that in this scene and throughout the rest of the episode, they really let Kowalski be fearful and really emote. And a lot of soldier shows or movies, they don't, you know, these guys play so tough and they don't show any emotion. But Kowalski's like, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm really scared. And he's like begging Jack for help and mm-hmm. just being so open Throughout, I mean, starting here and all the way through the rest of the episode. And I just thought that was really refreshing to see. Like, here's this really tough military guy who's done these badass missions. And something terrifying and awful awful happens to him. And he gets to just actually be terrified and upset and freaked out. And I I really love that they let it go there. And it helps, like, raise the emotional stakes, too. It helps you, like, really put into context, like... Yeah, when you are not in control of your body, it is terrifying. And the way that he acts, it totally helps convey that and raise those emotional stakes. And then Jack slash RDA gets to play off of that and be equally as scared and equally as uncertain and, like, angry. And, like, you, you, this is a situation that you can't control, like, at all. You can do your best to mitigate and come up with a solution. But essentially, this is completely brand new waters and no one knows how to deal with it and it's it's scary and you yeah it's 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 good yeah it's a great scene so then they go to the briefing room to talk about how they're going to deal with this this. and this is when colonel butthead shows his (laughs) true butthead colors because before he was just questioning teal and that was totally reasonable yeah and but that now he's like oh my gosh you guys this episode this scene makes me sick to my stomach because i feel like it is an, a conversation that would actually happen, even though it's just, I mean, this guy is like, oh, well, his chances are slim, so we might as well just let the alien take over his body so that mm-hmm. we can get intel. Is it I wrong? Mean, There's like a small part of me, though, that's like, yeah, do that. Like, that, I, makes, that makes strategic sense. I mean, look, as much as... I think it's disgusting that people do. I mean, that I mean that 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 thought would cross into people's minds. It also, I was kind of like, I mean, if you can't save him, why not just like use him? And then, like, I feel disgusted with myself because I'm like, why am I thinking like that? And it's just, it's a kind of like a catch twenty two. It's like which which is better off mm-hmm. for yeah. humanity? I, I mean, and the thing is that. And we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the series that if they let that go, we'll take over Kowalski. They weren't going to get any actionable intel out of it. Mm-mm. But so they don't have that benefit. But Teal'c does say that, like, and that plays into the decision making because I th- I do think you're right in terms of and and Colonel Kennedy even makes the argument of well, this thing inside of him is a living entity, and so if. Kowalski's going to die either way, then we ought to at least let it live, acting like, I don't know, he's trying to be right. a good guy and letting it live. But then Teal basically jumps in and says, you're yeah. not going to get any information out of it. And I do think, yeah, we have the benefit of having watched the whole show. I feel like 
the second that Tilk said that the the the, the Goa'uld has the genetic memory and all the intelligence and knowledge of all the Goa'ulds before it, I think Kennedy was locked in on, I'm going to get that intelligence. I'm going to get everything that this thing knows. I mean, but like you said, like, it was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. If for nothing else, then because Papa Hammond was there. But... Okay, so you brought it up, but but there but there are two moments that I really like in this scene, and I can't remember what Jack does and why it happens, but he's insubordinate to Colonel Kennedy, which I found like he said he may, he says some sort of comment or does something that he wouldn't necessarily do to like uh, a, a higher ranking or equal ranking um, officer that he admired or um, had respect for, and then. <sighs> I really liked the fact that Hammond was like, yeah, we're not going to do that to Kowalski. Like, we're going to, like, do what I want to do. What and... kind of officer are you? And... Uh, yeah, the clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yay. okay. Uh, do we, did we want to unpack the genetic memory thing more before we go into Hammond's response? Or do we think we... Well, I, the only thing I was going to say is, like, I feel like that gets mentioned in this episode. I totally forgot that that was a thing. And then I was like, how do we not talk about this more? We kind of bring it up a little bit with the Tokra episodes, but I feel like, man, if every Goa'uld has all the knowledge of the Goa'uld before it, that's a lot of knowledge. And like, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like that never gets brought up. Or if it does, I certainly don't remember it. I mean, it comes up occasionally. I remember it coming up mostly in that episode where uh, Apophis's and Shari's kid the like a big thing. Harcesis yeah. is a thing, and like he has like all of the knowledge of the gold yeah. and like yeah, it comes up a lot with him. Pretty much every time the Harcesis yeah. is mentioned, the I really don't like that plot line. But moving no, on, me neither. But I thought that that was exclusive to the Harcesis, which is why it was such a big deal. I didn't realize that it was, or I forgot that it was all. It was everybody basically. Yeah, but I like that it's another way that they're building this mythos into their universe that makes it so that these basically it makes it so that every Goa'uld is pretty equally terrifying from from the get-go but yeah so Colonel Kennedy's suggestion is absolutely not okay with Hammond and we get Hammond's response which is amazing How much just what we- kind of an officer are you Colonel sir as long as there is a snowball's chance in hell that my officer will come out of this procedure alive, we'll go ahead with it. With respect, General, I feel I should take this to my superiors. Well, me? I'll probably just call the president and get approval right from the horse's mouth. But sure, you go right ahead, Colonel. Talk to your superiors. In the meantime, people, let's get the job done. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... I love that whole like exchange because it's because uh, Kennedy is basically kind of like, okay, well, I'm going to go you know, to my superior and, you know, go above you or whatever. And Hammond's just kind of like, oh, yeah, son, let's go. I'm going to go straight to the president and we're going to see how far you get. Um, yeah, you see that red phone on my desk? <laughs> Dare me to pick it up. Dare me. <laughs> but I like it because it it shows that Hammond isn't afraid to use his connections or even his rank um when he needs to he doesn't use it all the time but he uses it when he needs to and it also reminds you that you know he has power in the air force and that he's been an air force officer for almost 40 years like he knows people Mm -hmm. um and 
I just, I just, just the way he's just like, let's go, bro. I'm ready. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Hannah was ready to throw down and be, I, and I like that also because it sets us up later for future buttheads that try and like wiggle their way into the SGC and Hammond really like goes to bat for his team and for his organization and is like, no, I know what's, there's a reason he's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. So part, there's really a part of me because Hammond clearly has a good relationship with whoever this president is right up until the next election with Hayes. I'm like, there's a part of me that really wants it to be Jed Bartlett. (laughs) <laughs> the, t- the timing isn't quite right <laughs> but i still picture martin sheen on the other end of the line <laughs> it's close uh, though right it's it close, close. Uh, westwood started in 99 and and okay. that was like six months into bartlett's presidency right okay yeah his first term because I, I, I'm not as familiar with West Wing, so that's why I was kind of like, it has to be like, You should right. finish it. I know, I know. Um, I also, going back to the scene, there's a great, as Hammond is just chewing the shit out of Kennedy, there's a great, the camera pans over to Sam and Jack, who are sitting next to each other, <clears throat> their assigned seats. <laughs> and they, it's Jack and Sam both kind of like, hiding their smiles into their faces <laughs> and it's this awesome like oh shit the general's throwing down that's our co and like i'm so glad it's not me on the other end of that like dress down because that's that's badass and i <laughs> love that they're smirking like school children like yeah. someone's getting recommended and <laughs> yes. they're just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's such a great scene. So they basically come to the conclusion that Kowals is going to go through with the surgery. They're going to do their best. And then we get into this pre-op scene with Jack at Kowalski's bedside. They're holding hands like true bros. And Kowalski's kind of just giving his, basically his final words to Jack, his final instructions. You know, if things go wrong, please, you know, wake up as me or don't wake me up at all, basically. Oh my gosh. Hey guys, the scene... It just, again, it's just going back to, I I love how real it is in that Kowalski is just, it's a real kind of deathbed scene. Mm -hmm. I just, I just really, I love it. And I love that Jack, he does kind of take a moment to be soft and serious and sweet with Kowalski, but he then still has to end it with a moment of levity, which I think is his nature in that he can't handle emotional stuff super well but i also think it's him just trying to send kowalski off into the operating room on kind of a you know and a more up a more a positive note. yeah i also love that the joke dates the show can i have your stereo <laughs> it's like oh, all right bro so we're in the 90s cool 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 oh there's also a line in there where kowalski says this was going to be my first real command it's mm-hmm. so sad poor kowalski <sighs> It's not a fucking SG one writers. Look who you had on your hands. And because, um, Oh shit. It's, I'm jumping ahead, but there's a really great scene between Kowalski and Sam post-surgery. And it's like, look at the chemistry these fools have. And you could have had this, but no, you wouldn't rewrite your fucking script. <laughs> but then SG one could have gone a whole different way. If we'd kept Kowalski, like how I'm great would that have been? Him. Well, he was SG two. We just could have maybe got more interaction between the SG teams instead of just randomly killing sg13 all the time or having colonel make peace who you think is probably a pretty cool dude end up being like a fucking traitor you know 
I liked Colonel Makepeace up until I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't actually realize he was a bad dude until I rewatched the series. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh yeah. I just love that his last name is Makepeace. (laughs) Like, God, what? That's like the lamest on the nose last name ever. (laughs) Colonel Makepeace. (laughs) Sorry for jumping ahead to different episodes. Uh, like seasons ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they we got the really great and sweet pre-op scene, and then we go to do the operation. Yes. And I I really I'm not gonna nitpick the medicine here. Uh, the only the only thing that I thought was interesting is that Hammond said, you know, tell me whatever whoever you need to get here to do this crazy intense spinal surgery, right? And I'll get him here, and then it's just Dr. Warner doing the surgery. I'm like, you guys, you could have had McDream or Jack (laughs) Shepard do this surgery. Instead, it's just, I have to think that the guy, the surgeon who was stationed at this sort of defunct, now almost happening thing, was maybe not the best surgeon in in the Air Force. But that's that's just me. I mean, who is Jack Shepard? Lost. Oh, I've never never seen Lost. Dude. Come no, on, it has man. no appeal to me. I've seen the pilot like four times. I can never get past the pilot. You should be Desmond. You have to get to Desmond. That's the I'm whole right. point of the show. I'm all right. Uh, yeah, Jack Shepard is uh, Matthew Fox's character. Ooh, I know he's hot. That's all I know. Yeah, and he's a spinal surgeon. Right on. Yeah, the operation itself I thought was interesting that Warner did it. But it looked like it was going really well. I physically had to, like, put my hand over my mouth when, like, the fake... I know it's fake, but, like, when the symbiote comes out, it's just like, eh. It's like when you see, like, surgeries of, like, a tapeworm being, like, removed, and you're like, ugh, that shouldn't be there. That's not okay. So gross. Well, my favorite part of that thing was, like, was like when, she, when, the, when the little... Uh, the nurse, I guess, was in there, and she was holding it, and she kind of showed... The people up in the briefing room, or whatever that was, <laughs> very Lion King. <laughs> she like held it and like it like, it like jiggled, and I was like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah." And I also this makes me mad a little bit because it's like it, it's the same. I'm gonna use the tapeworm analogy again, but like in a tapeworm, you've got a head and a tail. There, it's very obvious when you break off a piece, which is I think is essentially what happened here. Is that that part of the symbiote was still attached to? either part of the nervous system or it was in the brain or something there was otherwise I don't know how it would have deceived the surgeon but it's like you didn't notice I guess you don't have any you know what I'm taking back this entire rant because I guess there's no basis for any kind of biology for all they knew they got the whole thing and that the end of looked like the end so I guess they don't know what a head and a tail looks like for a symbiote the thing is they actually did know they didn't get it all because the surgeon says yeah the surgeon says there are some tendrils going up into the brain I'm going to cut them and so he like cuts them and then Kowalski starts seizing so Mm -hmm. they sort of plant the seeds of there is something in the brain that they didn't get oh interesting when he said that I'm going to cut them when I heard that, I interpret that, interpreted it as, like, I'm going to cut enough so I can, like, pull. Like, you know, like, when you have, like, your hair wrapped around, like, a hair tie, and you guys sometimes, like, cut a little bit of your hair to get the whole hair out of your hair tie? That's kind of what I figured was happening. There's not still part of a hair tie left in my hair. I just pull it. <laughs> your poor hair. I think I think Dr. Warner was assuming that it was like peripheral nerves that had been that yeah. had been shot off into the brain and if he cut them off from the main body of the Goa'uld they would just die. 
wither and die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But such a huge chunk comes out of Kowalski's like head ear thing. Like when he like dies at the end. Yeah, and like the, the last of head. <laughs> and well, yes. And like that, it's like a, a significant size piece of symbiote pops out. Yeah. Well, but I mean, if it embeds itself in its brain, you're not going to be able to see it. But that's not how that works. There's a whole like skull situation. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know there's like a there's like a a hole essentially that it could have. I don't know. It's very small. I just, I, it's very small, and and it was a very large symbiote. I just kind of question a little bit of the biology there, but for the sake of not nitpicking, I'm gonna just suspend some disbelief. And sure, the Goal symbiote fooled the doctors. Yeah. <laughs> we we did kind of jump past uh, Kowalski's little goodbye speech, and when he asks Hammond to, that's when he gives it the has his line of, I mean, I want to wake up as me or not at all. Yeah, which is totally fair. Oh, yeah. And as a soldier, absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, and then Hammond says, yeah, like, I promise. We you have my word. Him. Yeah. But I also love the how silly the graphics are of, like, the the screen of them pulling the, and, like, the, yeah, that's the tweezers that coming on into the screen. <laughs> and then the scissors. Not how that works. <laughs> it's just such, such a hokey animation, too. Yes. And there was no machine in there to be taking those pictures. Nope. There's sure magically getting... Guys, guys, <laughs> they had to show the audience what was happening inside Kowalski's oh, body. Without so, being gross. I mean, yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, I get what y'all are saying, but y'all are, y- y'all are going too no, deep. I, I, need y'all, I need y'all to come out. We were like, we're not going to nitpick our med- medicine. But because, look, Chelsea, look, your husband's a doctor. I work in the med field. There's a lot of things to nitpick there. Yeah, we're just going to... But we're going to breeze past. Gonna go, we're going to move on. Breeze past. There we go. Good job, guys. We did it. Yay, restraint. Good job. So yes, so then we have what we think is a successful operation. Oh, do you have a clip you want to play? No, Charles? I was going to say, then there's another random Sam and Daniel moment because we had to give them stuff to do this episode. Where, They're hanging out up in the... Yeah, and, and they say, you know, oh, because it looks like it's been successful. And it's like, oh, yay, we mm-hmm. have hope for Share. We might be able to pull the thing out of her. Mm-hmm. And then we go to the recovery room. And he just had spinal surgery. And he's like moving his arms and legs. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've decided, I've decided to not nitpick because it's, I'm going to decide that the Goa'uld helped to speed the recovery. Yeah, I was just about to say, I was about to say, but if he'd been taken over by the Goa'uld, don't they have, like, magical healing abilities? Yeah. I don't want to say magical, but they have, it, like, super, like, speedy healing powers. I will also say, so my dad had major spinal surgery. Now, this is 2000 in... 15 so 10 years difference in medicine and technology but he had major spinal surgery where like uh, plates were like fused together and they had to like remove parts of bone like it was fairly major but he also only had a very small incision and he was moving pretty okay after so i will give it a pass the combination of that and magic gold healing powers yep so how do we feel about this final like post-op trickery scene? I I really I like it. So Jack is in there and he's all excited and congratulating Kowalski and being like, I told you it wasn't your last conversation. That's a cute little laugh during that scene. Okay, sorry, moving on, continue. A cute little laugh? Yes, yeah, he makes like this little noise and I just knows. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> you know. <laughs> He's just so hot <laughs> in the thing. So. 
Yeah, and then and then Sam gets a little moment with Kowalski where he asks her to get teal. And they like hold yeah. hands for a second. She like pats yeah. his shoulder. Yep, and then and then they bring teal in and and Kowalski is like, I want to shake the hand of the man that saved my life. But I can only shake their hand if yeah. those two airmen yeah. leave. And there's a moment where it shows <laughs> Teal's face, like, when when Kowalski is saying, I want to speak to him privately, where I, there's a, it, I couldn't read it. If it was, like, pride on Teal's part that he had, that he is, was ingratiating himself to these people that they that they cared about him and respected him or if there was a because it's teal can he's so impassive i couldn't tell which which it was whether he was like mm-hmm. oh yay these people like me or oh that's a little weird <laughs> he wants to be alone with me i couldn't tell well, well maybe so you brought that up and i'm trying to remember because i can't quite remember but can't people who have gold in yes they're like Yes, and say it, them. Yes. <laughs> Can't they sense the Nakwada and the other person? So, like, maybe he was like, hey, Something's this dude's wrong. like, I'm getting some weird vibes off Kowalski right now because, you know, I'm sensing some Nakwada or yep. whatever. And yes, because the, like, our super, our superpower, like, go out like, metal detectors become Sam and Silk right. because yeah. they... They can sense symbiotes within other people. Well, because of the Nakwada. But Kowalski would have the Nakwada whether the Goa'uld was all the way gone or not. Because oh. Sam still has the Nakwada after Jolinar is gone. You are correct. That's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. Take it back. Hmm. But we, we don't tried. know that. We tried. <laughs> Teal'c doesn't know that. <laughs> but All right, never mind. <laughs> I had the exact same thought you did, Melanie. I had it written down, too. I was like, Teal'c knows. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't know. Never mind. I take it back. Well, he might have known. He might have known. He's an intuitive guy. He had no context for what he was feeling. But yeah, so then the Goa'uld, which I kind of wish we'd gotten a name for this Goa'uld, but Mm -hmm. we never do. Uh, The Goa'uld threatens Teal'c, and this is a great Teal'c moment, because the Goa'uld basically says, you know what, if you, you know, renounce what you've done, and you come and serve me, then you can come with me, or I'm going to kill you. And Teal'c who just barely made the decision to not serve the Goa'uld anymore is like, no, I'm not going to go with you. I'd rather die. Mm-hmm. And so that it's just reestablishing that Teal'c is loyal. Is done. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, I also think that a little bit that might have to play into that is that after he finds out who the Tari are, which is earth, he says that, you know, like we're like the greatest hope to, you know, help free the um somebody help me out <laughs> he's basically said that the towery were the were the greatest hope for the rest of humanity that's throughout the galaxy yeah so glad you knew where i was going because like i knew where my brain was but like it wasn't i was getting distracted by your cat i'm sorry my cat is trying to take down <laughs> hey excuse me so maybe that might have that might have played into it a little bit with you know him not you know immediately going back with the ghoul that we don't know what his name is he or his or her name is yeah no that's true he he has learned more about about the people that he had has sided with and i think has reinforced his belief that these are the people that are going to help him overthrow the gold so yeah so the gold does a bad job of killing teal yes which which i think is part we you know we later learn that jaffa can survive a lot including not having oxygen for lengthy periods of time and 
So you'd think that Goa'uld would know that, but it didn't, and it did not kill Teal'c. And then there's the run, race to the gate room again. Poor Sergeant Harriman gets his arm <laughs> smashed again a counter against the counter, and then is just like sitting there yeah. nursing it for the rest of the episode, <laughs> completely useless with his injured forearm. <laughs> He got my dominant hand. His wrist is probably broken. But I mean, hey. Right. Yeah, yeah. But he only has one broke. You you have another hand. (laughs) Well, maybe maybe it was his punching hand. (laughs) (laughs) It was his punching hand. He doesn't know how to punch with his other hand. (laughs) Yeah, he's doing his best. He, you know, he does his best when he opens and closes the iris and says that um, wormhole has been disengaged. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sergeant Harriman is not used to having to work and fight through the pain. That That's all. It's true. I also thought it was interesting, like, right after that scene, they pan to um, Tilk in the hallway uh, standing over the two knocked out uh, airmen. And Dr. Warner comes in and Dr. Warner's just like, what happened? When in, in my mind, if I know, like, Dr. Warner doesn't know Teal'c. Like, if I came around the corner and saw Teal'c standing over two bodies, I'd be like, fucking A. Kennedy was right the whole time. <laughs> He's the bad guy. Like, I back up. But no, Warner's like full on, like, tell me what happened. And then takes, I guess, Teal'c at his, at his word because everyone goes rushing to the gate, the gate room. Yeah. Well, and then, and so Kowalski gets it dialed up, sets the self-destruct, and then goes down to the gate room, and Teal'c is just standing there like a boss on the ramp. Like, nope, you're not going through the wormhole today. Not on my watch. <laughs> yes, I like that scene a lot as well. Because it's also just, like, such like a good, like, visual, visual representation of Teal'c's loyalties, Teal'c's decisions, Teal'c's strength. Like, that is Teal'c stand, literally standing between, like, enemy and escape and saying, I'm putting my foot down here. Yep. It's just absolutely demonstrating his loyalty for everyone to see. And a scuffle ensues on the ramp. And there's a really funny moment when it, it's, like, on Kowalski's face and he does this, like, rawr, when he's... Yeah. <laughs> He's attacking Teal'c. So weird. It's like, what are you doing? That's not how you engage in a in a fight. No. It kind of makes me think because like the goal don't have to do tons of hand to hand combat, but he's just like shit. Let me call upon the millennia of intelligence. Nothing really, guys. Cool. Let's go with this. <laughs> And I also kind of, I really want to know what it feels like to have half of your brain go through a wormhole because, like, Teal keeps just, like, throwing his head through the um, the puddle. And I just want to know, like, what does that feel like? It's like, that's well, got to feel bizarre. What, what does that mean? Does, like, half of his brain go start shooting to Chewlock right. and then doesn't, the rest of him, I, did, like, his brain, like, form materialize outside of Chulak before coming <laughs> rushing back. Like, I'm just very confused. Well, no, because in the movie, I believe what's a spader sticks his hand through it and it doesn't go anywhere. I think it's just yeah, that you no. Apparently the wormhole seems to recognize whole objects and doesn't start taking them <laughs> apart very until the entire wormhole. object is in it. <laughs> Unless Which- you turn it off. 
And then it cuts yeah, it in. Yeah, you're like halfway like, through. We're laughing. But then Jack makes a decision, a very great, quick, terrible decision. He instructs Teal'c to hold Kowalski's head halfway into the puddle. And then he shuts down the wormhole. Tells Harriman, who is... Tells Harriman. Who works through his broken forearm pain and does it. finds the way and the will and the strength. And it just... But the whole part shows the character of Jack. That he'll, you know, do what needs to be done no matter what the cost is. Even if it is his friend who, you know, he has to give the order to put... Kill? Put down... Kill. Yeah. I like I like kill better. Kill. Kill it's terrible. Yeah. It is. Then, it, it really is. And then you get his rationalization that he could make that decision so quickly when he's like standing over Kowalski's body and he says, "My friend died on the table. Like this was a hundred percent a strategic. Like I recognize what happened, what was happening, and this is what was this was what needed to be done. Yeah, because that's I mean, what Kowalski would have wanted. Right, Kowalski but, specifically said that's what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, he, when he gives the order, it immediately like goes to his face, and you can see kind of like the pain that he's kind of in when he has to say, you know, totally. No, turn those it decisions off. aren't easy yeah. for him, but he can make them. Mm-mm. Yes, yes, which is why he is and the CEO, can, and he can live with the decisions, or and yes, live with the decision of making in his in his emotionally stunted but, way. Yes, he. <gasps> yes. Who are we calling emotionally stunted? Jack O'Neill? <laughs> Never. Uh, but then we get that, that moment with Sam and Daniel again. Another token moment. But it's an important moment. It is important. Where, where you know, they kind of question how he was... <sighs> how he managed to put the self-destruct system on if the ghoul had taken over the host's body. And then they realized that something of the host must survive. Yeah. Which is very important. Yeah, well, and uh, I think that also brings us to the point of, so at the beginning of the episode, the auto-destruct was on, and Hammond was just like, okay, turn it off, and it seemed like Harriman just pushed a button and it stopped. There's one person. Yeah, and now at the end, the auto-destruct is on, and Hammond is like, I need two ranking officers to turn off this auto-destruct, and I don't understand why that is the case. Well, maybe, maybe, I mean, granted, we only see Harriman... But maybe there's two ranking officers there who both are typing into the keyboard. Maybe. 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 Uh, Probably not, but maybe. Yeah, so I have I have the Something of the Host Survives clip if you guys want me to play it. We can play it because it, it's nice to incorporate. Plus it's, yes, yes, play it. Play okay. It. If anything, the fact that he knew how to set the auto-destruct code proves that there's hope for Sharae and Scarborough. How? Because only Kowalski could have known that code. So Something of the Host must survive. It's a very, very important plot point. It is an important plot point. This episode, for it being a second episode, sets up a good chunk of the mythos and the plots, the plot, and just like everything, which I think is interesting because you usually don't see like the second episode of a television show bringing in all the mythos all together at once, and then you know all the major plot points all kind of together in the same. It's true. Mm Mm-hmm. And they stick to it pretty, not religiously, but they don't really, they retcon a lot in this show. I don't feel like they retcon a lot of that initial establishing, like, no. setup. No, they actually stick to their gold mythology pretty well. They do. So then we get Hammond just being the boss that he is on the phone with the president and being like, here, Colonel Kennedy, you talk to the president. 
Boom. And he smirks at Jack. Yep. After he hands the phone to him and they walk out together, he's like smiling at him, like kind of like. <laughs> <laughs> he and Jack have a lot of like. There's another exchange that they have in that first meeting with Kennedy when Kennedy mentioned something about like how we go, like when we go off world, and Jack and Hammond look at each other, and Jack mouths "we," <laughs> like they both know that like Kennedy's not going anywhere, but uh-huh. sure, we're we. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of good bonding between Jack and Hammond in this episode yeah, for sure, and so then we get. Uh, and Jack is all kitted up in that scene, ready to go. And the SG-1 is ready to go on their mission. And Teal'c meets him in the embarkation room. Yes. Fully decked out. All SG-1 gear. He reporting, has, the he has the Reporting helmet. for duty. He has the helmet. I'm so glad to get rid of those helmets, <laughs> yeah. man. Well, and I do love the... Woof. Like... <laughs> legitimately jack's the only one who doesn't have a helmet now he did he wore a helmet in children of the gods he did but now he, did. he is not wearing a helmet and everyone else nope. does at yep. least initially <laughs> yes <laughs> then we get the do-rag um, for daniel and the cadet cap for yes. sam yep but i do love that you know tilt comes in and he's kind of like i'm reporting for duty and then jack goes over and goes sir reporting for duty sir (laughs) of all the people (laughs) yep jack is definitely the man to be teaching people military protocol what i really like about the fact that it's jack correcting tilk there is because when kowalski uh, comes out from his blackout he goes jack i didn't do anything too bad did i and jack goes you just got a little mouthy that's all like nothing too serious (laughs) and like the whole episode and like then we of course learn later that jack has like Basically, getting mouthy is, like, the extent of Jack's, like, breaking a protocol for the most part. And he's like, eh, nothing too serious. But then Teal misses a sir. And like, no, 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 we're going to correct this right now. Oh, I love it. And then we get the hero shot oh. of our team walking through the Stargate together. It's such a good shot. It's it's probably one of my favorite shots, I want to say, of, like, probably the series. Just because you finally get to see, like, SU-1 as a group walk up the ramp together and go through the Stargate. It's just it's a lot. It's a great closing shot because now we've spent the last two episodes establishing this is the this is the team, this is the show, this is it. Now let's buckle up and get going. Yep. It is. I agree with that. So that's the episode. Woo. I don't think we have I, I mean, you guys can correct me here. I don't think we have any dumb dumb Daniel moments, do we? He wasn't in this episode enough to be doing dumb things. Nope, he was not. Unfortunately, yeah. I have nothing. Nope. <laughs> Give it time. We'll have plenty. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. Next but... epi- the next episode's Emancipation. Don't you worry. I already have my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be able to defend him in Emancipation, guys. <laughs> yeah, so no, no dumb dumb Daniel. All right. So then why don't we just go ahead and rate the episode? All right. I'll start. I give this one six out of seven, which I wouldn't, the first time I watched it, I didn't like it that much because I I was annoyed that I wanted them to get into the show. Mm -hmm. But as I watched it again, I felt like it was a really kind of cool and brave choice for them to decide to, to not do that as most sci-fi shows immediately want to jump into their, their kind of format as quickly as they can. And instead they took the time to really set up 
the show that they're going to give us because it wouldn't have been realistic if they just immediately jumped in and Teal'c was going with SG-1. We we needed this moment to make Teal'c a member of the team to finish establishing the stakes and the mythology of what they're up against. And, and I thought they do a really good job of it. And it's a very emotional and compelling story. And so I would, I would say that, and with the Hammond shining as much as he did and Kowalski, which just makes it sadder that he dies, but it's still just a really great episode for the SGC. Like this becomes a group of people we can root for. And really my only knock on the episode is that there isn't enough Sam and Daniel and they just have their couple of Mm -hmm. random lines. Mel? Um, I would give it probably a five, a five out of seven. I initially, like Chelsea did, I didn't really particularly like this episode. I, but then again, I didn't really like most of the first chunk of season one anyway. But, um, after, you know, watching it again to, to tonight and seeing how much of the mythos is revealed in this episode and how many major plot points are in there. And how Hammond and Kowalski, I mean, like you said, kind of really, really shined and you still get some of like a good chunk of like Jack's ass and you get Sam and Daniel as kind of token characters which is very sad but you know it happens I also noticed that this is I mean it's our third episode of the show but it's also like one of the few episodes that is like mostly takes place in the SGC or on earth Mm -hmm. which I've also found out as I was trying to think of other episodes that are mostly take place in SGC or on earth those are typically my favorite episodes. So I just found that was also kind of interesting. But yeah, so I give it a five out of seven. I'm going to go a little lower and give it like a four or four and a half out of seven. Mostly because as much as I like it for the Hammond reasons, and I think it does do a good job about plot establishment. At the end of the day, this is not a rewatchable episode for me. This is like, if I think of the list of episodes that I want to just like randomly put on, this is definitely not one of them. It's, pretty cut and dry boring straightforward very tropey you know exactly what you're getting like i've seen this trope like a thousand times on a different on different shows where person within like look at fucking alien okay like someone's getting infected we've got a traitor amongst us like i've seen it a couple times so just for those reasons plus the lack of Sam and Jack, the lack, well, that too, the lack of Sam and Daniel, um, all of those things kind of contribute to a just fine, okay episode. So I'll give it a four and a half out of seven. Okay. Okay, so I think we should uh, give an air medal award to our favorite character um, or a character who particularly shined in an episode or a character we feel you know, was the MVP of the episode. I would give it to Hammond. Uh, that's who I was thinking. Okay. Yeah, so I think that we consensus agree that the air medal for this episode goes to General Hammond. Or Papa Hammond, as I call him. As Melanie calls him. I, I don't think it needs that much explanation either, since we've been gushing about him for the whole episode. So for all of the above reasons, yes, we award Hammond with the air medal award for the enemy within yeah so yeah so that that's what we've got on the enemy within if you would like to give us some feedback on this episode or check in with us you can reach me at kahils on twitter 
And Pianosa 2 to the Fighting 8th on Tumblr. You can find me on Twitter at JustTheMess250 or on Tumblr at Professor Tennant. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Melanie Martian, M-A-R-S-H-A-N. Or you can find me on Tumblr at my stupid dumb flyboy. Or you can find us at uh, the podcast if you don't want to like individually talk to us. We're very friendly, I promise. But if you don't want to, you want to talk to us on the podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Chevron's Lock Seven. Uh, that's our Twitter handle. It's also our Gmail. Also, we apparently already have someone that wants to hang out with us in Chicago. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> yes, guys. Okay. If you're going to the Chicago um, Stargate Con, I called it GateCon on Twitter. It's not GateCon. It's the Stargate 25th Gateway something or other. Whatever. Uh, if you're going and you guys want to meet up or hang out or talk or whatever, uh, we are always down to meet up with fellow Stargate fans. All three of us are going to be there. We're super excited to hang out with other Stargate people. We're meeting Amanda Tapping. We're going to die. It's going to be great. Um, but if you're going to be there, please let us know and maybe we can all hit up the bar somewhere for a drink and talk about how great Sam and Jack are. And if you don't like Sam and Jack, you are not invited. Okay. I'm just Jess kidding. doesn't speak for everyone here. So like, <laughs> I don't want to get into a bar fight. Okay. The last thing I need is to start throwing down with strangers. I will. Let me yeah, add them. I know you would. <laughs> I guess we'll see you guys next week for Emancipation. Alright. Yes. And good. General Hammond has a message for you. <laughs> yeah, General Hammond has a message for you. Don't let the door hit your ass on the way up. Guys, next week is uh, Emancipation. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I feel like on that one, we could either end up with like a really short episode where we're like, ugh. <laughs> or we could have a really long episode where we just spend like three hours ranting. <laughs> Y'all, the next couple we're going to be ranting it's, about. It's rough. The next couple okay. <laughs>